0: Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody to another episode of Animals to the Max. Sound like a game show host there. Welcome, everybody, to the show. I am so excited you joined us. My name is Corbin Maxi. I am the host. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome to season four of the Animals to the Max podcast. <laughs> Woo! We did it. We are over 150 episodes, and we are entering our fourth year of of doing the show. I, I can't even believe it. This, you know, honestly, you know, going into this podcast, I never thought we would just go this far. And I just, oh my goodness. I take my hat off to all of you around the world who listen to the show. I also just want to thank all of my amazing guests that I've been able to talk to who have shared their experiences and their life working with animals. Your, your stories have been heard all around the world, Thousands and thousands of times. So thank you. Thank you so much. We are kicking off season four with an amazing animal. And this was actually a listener recommendation. We are going to talk about the Okapi You guys, the Okapi is one of the most unusual mammals in the world. They are found exclusively deep in the forest of the Congo. They weren't discovered to Western science until 1901. And this is like a seven foot tall mammal. It is the closest living relative to the giraffe. It's one of the most fascinating animals. And on the program, I have Lucas Mears from the Okapi Conservation Project. He is the program officer and... Through the whole episode, my jaw was just dropped, and throughout when I when I record episodes and just you know just I I like I like to take notes, and my notepad was just full of all these exciting, amazing facts that I did not know about okapi. And I encourage you to listen to the full episode because there are some things that will blow your mind, including the fact that okapis they communicate through infrasound, so sounds that we could not hear in extremely low frequencies, and the ways they communicate with their calves. They also have scent glands on their feet. Why do they have scent glands on their feet? Why are they covered in stripes? There is so much uh, just to be discovered about these amazing animals, so make sure you stay tuned for the whole episode. Lucas is a great interviewer, and he just talks about his work and his work with the African pygmies and the indigenous people, you know, trekking through the rainforest and setting up camera traps to try to capture the reclusive Okapi. You guys, they are hard 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 to find so I promise you're going to love this before we get started as always please make sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes Spotify Pandora or wherever you listen to the program please leave a rating and a review and keep your topic and guest suggestions coming in the last few shows let's see we had the Philippine Eagle Foundation the Okapi Conservation Project these were all listener recommendations so keep them coming in all you have to do is send me a DM on Instagram at Corbin Maxi or send me a email info at CorbinMaxi.com. As always, if you would like to financially support the show and just give us a couple bucks, you can head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash animals to the max. I will put a link in the show notes, all the money, and it's not a lot of money, but it just goes back to web hosting fees. It goes back to new equipment. It goes back to just supporting the show. The show, of course, is a labor of love. And so if this is valuable to you, if you find value in this. Join our Patreon page. You'll get exclusive behind-the-scenes access to amazing content, sneak peeks at what is coming up, and a chance to have a private Zoom call with me once you're a Patreon for a number of months. So, once again, check that out: Patreon.com/slash Animals to the Max. Okay, everybody. With that said, I think I think we should get to it. I really think we should welcome to the program Lucas Beers from the Okapi Conservation Project. Let's talk about the reclusive okapi. I am very excited today because we are talking about an animal a lot of people don't know about and joining me is Lucas Mears from the Okapi Conservation Project. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me Corbin. I'm super excited to be here.
0: I'm super excited and you know what a listener actually recommended the Okapi Conservation Project.
1: Oh yeah, I, I feel like there there's a lot of secret okapi fans all around the world and I, I just love get, hearing stories about them popping up and recommending us to do these types of things. I love it. I, any any exposure for okapi, I will take.
0: Well, and I'll tell you what, you were hard to track down just like an okapi. Oh yeah. Let's <laughs> try to No, you guys are busy. And no, I really appreciate you taking the time.
1: Oh, no problem. I'm, I'm super happy to be here and uh, I'm, I'm excited to share my love of Okapi and I'm sure really connect with a lot of your listeners on on, on those that love Okapi and hopefully educate some that don't know about Okapi.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure my mom is listening right now going like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, wait, what an Okapi? Is this a type of fish? Like what what is going on? So can you tell people what an Okapi is? Sorry, mom, by the way, I could give you more credit than I. <laughs> calling her out. Yeah, I'm calling her so, out. So
1: um, I, I like to say that Okapi is the cool animal that so many people have never heard of. Uh, It is the closest living relative to the giraffe. Uh, It is um, kind of like a chocolatey, it looks a little bit like a horse, um, but it's it's, it's a little bit bigger than a horse. It's kind of a chocolatey brown, velvety fur uh, with horizontal stripes on its butt and legs. Uh, It's not really related to zebras. Its closest living relative is the giraffe, uh, and they're only found in the dense, dense jungles of the Democratic Republic of Congo.
0: Yes, and by the way, you have a plush Okapi toy behind you. That is awesome, man. Where (laughs) did you
1: find that? Oh, and you have the shirt right there. I also have it on my shirt, too. Um, so you can find little plush Okapis at any, any zoo that has Okapi. There's, um, almost 30 zoos in the U S that have Okapi. And then there's 30 zoos in Europe and other countries that have Okapi. So you can probably find them in any gift shop that has Okapi.
0: Yeah. And Okapis are one of the most unusual animals. And I think what blows my mind is how recently they were discovered, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. So they, um, we, we, they were only discovered by Western scientists um, in 1901. I mean, the, the indigenous people of, uh, the Congo, the pygmies, um, they've known about okapi for several thousands and thousands of years, but they were only described by Western science, uh, in 1901. And that's relatively recent compared to, a or for a, for a large animal that's six, seven feet tall.
0: Yeah. And that is, and, um, night, that's like a little over a hundred years ago. And we have this big animal living in the dense jungles of the Congo, I'm sure these Western scientists were just shocked, right? I mean, this it, 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 see, oh, yeah, it seems like a seems like a mythical creature almost, you know, like a unicorn. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. So uh, they're, they're jokingly called the African unicorn because you never see them. They're almost a, a, uh, a mythical being. There were rumors uh, among Western scientists and explorers, white explorers, that this animal existed, but they always thought it was some relative of the zebra. They didn't really know what it was. They did get some um, uh, skins of Okapi during oh. their explorations, and they really had no idea what it was. Uh, And then finally, they they received a full-sized skin of one, and then they were able to draw it. And it was actually a pretty accurate drawing based on the the, the hide that they collected.
0: Wow, 1901. Now, did the pygmies, the the pygmy people, I hope that's politically correct, did they? (laughs) Please don't email me. Uh, So, did they? (laughs) Indigenous people. Yeah. Oh, sorry. The indigenous peoples, did they hunt? The okapi is food. Was it just part of their culture? Is that how they knew no, about it? No, not
1: at all. So oh. they they're actually um, uh, pretty respected among the uh, indigenous peoples of the Congo. So they're 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 very spiritual. They're, it's they, they consider it a spirit of the forest. And okapi really aren't targeted for hunting. There are some um, recent cases um, that have been documented in the past few years of okapi being poached, but up until now, they it it really hasn't been an issue um and they they're not being poached by um uh, by the mabuti or fa pygmies but they th- there are some cases of them being poached um by uh uh people in the forest
0: sure and so they're living okay so just take my listeners where they live i mean i'm thinking deep dense jungle hot humid <laughs> what is it like i mean have you been there on the front line
1: i have yes uh several times actually so th- I, I guess I can describe when we set up our camera traps. So we, we decide a location. Uh, we work uh, very closely with the, the Mabuti Pygmies. The Mabuti is a tribe that's uh, locally in the Okapi Wildlife Preserve. So we work very closely with the Mabuti Pygmies uh, and they help us find uh, signs of Okapi. And so whether it's um, fecal or um, chewed leaves or hoof prints or clay licks, because they do eat clay, Um, clay and charcoal. They will help us locate um, target areas to set up our camera traps. And so when we do that, we actually drive along the main road, and then we just pull off onto the side and then go into the forest where where we were told that there were signs. Uh, And it's just these thick, thick, dense jungles. It's hot and sweaty. It always rains. It's the rainforest. Um, and so we we set up through cameras in these dense viney jungles, thorns all over. The- you have to wear full clothing. Do not wear shorts, even though it's hot, um, just to protect your legs from all the vines and scratches. But what's incredible is uh, I'm 6'3", three, uh, and so the Mabuti they they have these trails in the forest that they use, and they're they're very very short people, um, just naturally very short, and they have these own trail their their trails that they create. Um And they also frequent animal trails. But I'm sitting there trying to bl- get all the vines <laughs> and stuff out of my face. And it, it's very difficult for a tall person to walk through the forest. Um, but it, it's definitely an adventure, I'll say. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah. And so you flew. What is that like? OK, my first envision of flying to the Congo is how dangerous that would be. I mean, Lucas, were uh, you like, I mean, how was that?
1: Yes. So uh, flying is the preferred method. Um, that's considered the safest method. Um, so I, am based in Jacksonville, that's Jacksonville, Florida. That's where I spend most of my time. And so when we fly over there, we, um, always have a layover in Europe and then we land in Uganda and we spend the night in Uganda. Then we catch a flight from Uganda to, um, cross the border in Congo. And then we take another plane, normally take another plane, to uh, the Okapi Wildlife Reserve and we land directly there. It's a little bit more dangerous to drive. Uh, it is um, considered a very insecure region of the world. There's a lot of uh, uh, armed militia groups in the forest. Uh, so driving is not recommended. Um, although during the recent Ebola epidemic, we, were, we did have to drive. Um, so that was a little, um, a, a little scary at times. Um, But we we made it through and I would not recommend driving just because the roads are horrible and it really messes with your back.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Flying
1: is by far the easiest.
0: Do do you have an
1: armed guard? Yes. Yeah. So everywhere we go, uh, when I was talking about camera traps in the forest, Mm -hmm. uh, we do have several armed guards with us. Um, Anytime we go um, anywhere in the reserve, we're always escorted by the ICCN Eco Guards. ICCN stands for the Institute in Congo for the Conservation of Nature. They are the uh, government authority tasked with um, uh, managing and protect, I don't want to say managing, but protecting the protected areas in Congo. And so the Okapi Wildlife Reserve is a protected area, and ICCN is based in Apulu, where we uh, our, our primary offices are. And so anywhere we go um, outside of Apulu, we are always escorted by armed guards.
0: Thank God. Yeah, that just sounds and I'm assuming is this not you said the the wildlife reserve or the Okapi reserve can tourists <laughs> go and visit this place? um if <laughs> it's very difficult to
1: visit there and we at least now we discourage people from sure. visiting just because of the insecurity in the region right now you can't get there because of covid all the borders are closed but even before then it was still insecure and we get several people wanting to see okapi in the wild you won't be seeing okapi in the wild they're that reclusive um but we, we don't recommend people visiting the reserve just because it's too insecure. Um, hopefully one day security will return to the region and we'll be able to allow visitors and tourists. Um, but we don't know when that would be in the future.
0: Okay. So take me back. So you're six, three going through this jungle with these, <laughs> with the, with the pygmies, man, this sounds like a movie, man. This sounds awesome. I, wow. There's a
1: lot of fantastic books about um, early explorers um, that, that, I would recommend to to read just to kind of get a a better picture. I mean, it's told from a one-sided perspective. It's told from a a white explorer, Sure, but there's some really cool adventure books if if you're fascinated in learning more on, on that sort of thing.
0: So are you just going through there? Are you, have you been prepared? Like, did you always grow up in the outdoors or are you? Yeah. I mean, to tell me a little bit about that.
1: I've, I've always grown up in the outdoors. Um, I'm from outside of St. Louis, Missouri and my family, we always had, uh, we had a creek in our backyard and I was always out there catching snakes, frogs, turtles, uh, crawdads, whatever it was and bringing them home to show my parents. Uh, And I've always known that I wanted to do something outside with animals. Uh, And then uh, I just kind of pull on all of that nature, knowledge and curiosity and fascination and passion and that's kind of what keeps me going. Um, and that's what kind of drives my interest in love for these types of adventures and just seeing what's really out there and learning about the natural world around me.
0: Wow, that was a beautiful answer. And Lucas, I I really like you, but I like you even more because my family, half of them are from St. Louis, like outside St. <laughs> Louis. So, dude, I am I used to go to St. Louis all the time, like Emo's Pizza. Are you about Emo's? Oh, yes. Uh, oh. I'm not a fan of Emo's. Oh, my gosh
1: one st louis in that is not a fan of emo's pizza sorry emo's pizza yeah people love it it's fantastic it's a st louis staple when you go to st louis you have to try emo's pizza but i'm not a fan
0: it, <laughs> it took me a while to get used to it and it almost my my best description is almost like velveta on a pizza right it's like a it's like a macaroni type cheese they use a provol yep. mix and it's a very different yep. square pizza it's thin yep. i think it's good man
1: i okay. love toasted ravioli. i mean we can get on to st louis sure. foods toasted ravioli and oh. ice cream cones and oh my god. cake oh.
0: oh delish dude st louis <laughs> is great okay so anyway total side note so you were raising the outdoors so you're going through the thick african forests in the congo are you just so you, you're so you're setting up traps, correct? Are you doing like a population census, or what are you doing for the okapi conservation so I, project?
1: I, I, I would want to clarify your statement. We're not setting up traps.
0: Oh, so- <laughs> traps, I'm sorry. sorry. Yeah.
1: So you're not tra- we're setting up cameras. <laughs>
0: I'm uh, sorry. And
1: we're primarily so right now because yeah. um, to be honest, we don't have any current photos of okapi to use to, in all of our promotion or even just to talk about okapi. So we. When we first set up the camera trap program in 2016, we were just out there just to see what was out there um, and to collect photos and images or images and videos of the animals that we're trying to protect, just to share them with the community, um, to share them with the world so that we can raise money for a lot of our conservation work, to support all the communities. Um, That was our primary focus when we first started. Now we're adapting to more strategic uh, population censusing. camera trap data is much more reliable than fecal count data. Um, And so that's what we're looking to do in the coming years is have a more robust uh, strategy on population censusing.
0: Okay. So they're only found in the Congo and deep central Africa. How many do they think are, I mean, what is their conservation status? I mean, they're pretty endangered, right?
1: Yeah. So they they are uh, considered endangered by the international union for conservation of nature Um, in, and we, estimate, and this estimate is a very l- strong word here, we estimate 10 to 15,000 Okapi left throughout their range, Okay, but in the Okapi Wildlife Reserve where we work, where we believe it to be the highest density of their population, uh, 3,500 to 4,000 individuals uh, within the 14,000 square kilometer reserve. That's about half the size of New Jersey. Wow. To put things into.
0: Okay, and are these these are solitary animals, correct?
1: Primarily solitary. So the only times they come together as with solitary animals are when the female gives birth to Mm -hmm. a calf um, or when the male is mating with the female. Um, But the female is in uh, estrus for a very, very, very short period of time, maybe a day or two.
0: Okay. And so you are with the African pygmy setting up camera traps I mean, how long does it take you to actually capture something? You said you started that back in 2016. Mm-hmm. How long does it take for you to find your first, I guess, a photo or to capture anything? Well,
1: I, I think when we for now, we're, we've gotten much better. When we were first doing it a few years ago, it was pretty bad because we really weren't sure how to set up camera traps and the distance and the motion and the cam- each camera trap model is very different. And mm-hmm. we had several models just because we were collecting any camera traps that we could at a, a, a cheap rate. So trying to figure out the nuances between different models, um, but understanding how quickly the vegetation grows, um, because obviously, if a, a, a tuft of grass is, or a bush is growing in front of the camera, every time it moves in the wind, it's going to set off the camera. So, sure. understanding the different nuances and plant growth, um, and we we check the camera traps every two to three months just to see what we get. Um, some areas we get uh, much more, much higher density of okapi than others, um, and so it's just kind of a a learning curve right now. But I think now we have it we have it nailed down now to be more strategic with our camera trap placement.
0: Oh, so you, so you leave them out there for months. I was thinking you were like sitting, sitting there the next day in camp. Like, did I get anything? Did I get anything? (laughs) Like, you know, around with the, you know? No. So, um,
1: every few weeks, um, some of the Mabuti pygmy will actually, uh, Mabuti pygmies will go out and check just to make sure that the camera traps are still there and they're on. Um, and then every two to three months we'll go out and switch out the the memory cards and then download the photos. And then we'll do that every couple of months okay. and then see what photos as we get.
0: Do you fly back to Jackson, Florida? I do not. No, no, we have, a, we have a
1: 45 person team on the ground. I do not go to Africa every two to three months. Oh gosh, I would wish, but my carbon footprint would be insane. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so we we actually have a 45 person team on the ground. Okay. I just go over to help advise and provide um, any sort of assistance or strategy on camera trap um, setup, mm. and then um, among other things. Um, but then our staff on the ground actually do go out and check every two to three months.
0: Okay, so it, so it takes months until you find the first. I mean, and is it just like a glimpse of footage that you find, or do you find like the money In shot? The
1: there, in the beginning it was just glimpses and occasionally we would get, because it was trying to f- again figure out the nuances of the cameras sure. and um, if a no copy is moving fast, that in it being blurry versus if a no copy was standing still in front of the camera, how high we should put the camera on oh. the tree. Um, because depending on what part of the animal you want, how very nuanced and very small details that we needed to take into consideration. Now that we've um, had that down, we've gotten some incredible, incredible camera trap footage of Okapi with leopard scars, because the leopards are their primary predator, um, primarily calves, though. Um, We have some incredible footage of, of birds following Okapi. So, you know, if you think about cattle, uh, on that are grazing as they're walking, birds are following, the, eating the insects. We've documented that with Okapi, birds following Okapi along the ground, eating insects that they're stirring up. Um, we've got mating bats, owls, um, giant forest hogs, um, we've gotten so much incredible footage on these camera traps in recent months. It's been, it's been pretty awesome.
0: Not to include you guys got the first footage ever of a mom and a calf ever.
1: Yes. Abs- yes. That, that was, oh my gosh. It's like Christmas every time we receive uh, camera trap videos and footage. Um, but this one was like the Holy grail of camera trap footage. So, um, to kind of put things into perspective, and how we were kind of, uh, how, how this kind of came about is Okapi calves have a very unique natural history. So the mother uh, Okapi will give birth and the calf will um, hide in a, what we call a nest. So between buttress roots or next to a log or under a bush or mm-hmm. something. Um, they don't like create a nest like a bird, but they'll find a place to hide. And then the mother never actually goes to that nest. She calls to the calf through infrasound. Um, so sound below our hearing, below leopard hearing, um to have the calf come out of the nest and come nurse wherever the mother is, and then the calf will actually go back to the nest. And so they uh, the the calf will do that for about two months. Um and during that two months, it doesn't defecate. it does not poop. For two um, months? It, for two whole months. Um, and so, and that that's thought to avoid detection from leopards, because if an animal poops, you, the smell, will actually radiate uh, and that could attract leopards, their main predator. Um, so after about two months, once the calf has grown significantly, that's when it starts following the mother around. So in December of 2017, we captured footage of a very, very, very pregnant female. Um, and the footage, we, we it was at night when we collected it and she was so pregnant, we expected her to, to pop anytime. And then we never captured any footage after that until we captured the calf, which that on um, the camera traps, it was dated just over two months later in February of 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we expect that the the female gave birth, the calf hid in a nest for two months and then after that two months, the calf started following the mother all around, and that's when we collected the the footage. Unfortunately, the camera was too high on the tree, and so we only got the top of the calf, but we still got the calf nonetheless.
0: Oh, it's great! And you know, listeners, I'll put the links in the show notes, but you can go to what is it, the Project dot com, and you could see it's like one of the first things you could see on there, and you see yep. it's yep. on yep. it's on YouTube. It's it's great. Yep. I okay, you just blew my mind, man. I mean, infrasound. And they okay. My goodness, this is. I mean, did you? <laughs> is this something that researchers? Are
1: the coolest animals you've never heard of? I've, Literally, you have not heard them I because f- they communicate through infrasound. I
0: feel like I've I've known. I, I feel like I know a little bit about copies I've never heard of this infrasound. Is this something that scientists discovered studying okapi in zoos, or is it something? Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, okay. That okay.
1: Yes, uh, I think it was um, uh, a lot of keepers and researchers with Dallas Zoo, White Oak Conservation Center, and San Diego Zoo. Um, forgive me if I forgot any others, but I know those were the three primary ones that were working on this study. Uh, and they were, uh, studying this in, in zoos. And this was in the early to mid nineties that they actually discovered this. So it was relatively recent since when they discovered that Okapi communicate through infrasound, other animals communicate through infrasound, elephants, Elephants. giraffes, um, rhinos, a a bunch of the bigger hoofed animals. Um, they, they communicate through infrasound as well.
0: Wow, and they and okay, blows my mind. So they hide in a nest for two months. Mm-hmm. The mother will let out infrasound, the calf comes out. That is just and they won't defecate for two months. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just keeping it all in there. I they're mean
1: absorbing every last nutrient from that mother's milk. And I um I've never seen it, but I've I've heard um stories of the mother's milk being very thick because it has a very, very high concentration of fat. And because of that, it's believed that um, They are one of the, if not the fastest growing ungulate calf calves out of all of the ungulate species.
0: Wow. And this nest, okay, so, so you said they're hiding under roots or under vegetation from, from yeah. lepers? Yeah, anything that, that
1: is kind of a little bit enclosed.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know how big they are when they're born? I'm just trying to get a visual.
1: Um, ooh, that's a good question. I know there's probably going to be keepers listening to this that would know this off the top of their heads. Yeah. Um, I'm... I don't want to give a wrong answer. Sure. But I know no worries. Little, I, I don't know how much they actually weigh at uh-huh. birth. Um, maybe we can do some research on that and put that in the, the comment section on the, um, the sure. podcast. Sure, sure, sure. But um, uh, I, they are miniature versions of the adults. Okay. The only thing really different is um, what's kind of funny is the stripes on there, um, but the white hairs are much longer than okay. the brown hairs surrounding it. So it almost looks like their stripes are a little bit elevated off of their their butts, okay, uh, and then they have a little, a very short mane that goes down the back of their neck, um, and so that, that that kind of goes away as they they grow older.
0: Wow! And you said they stand six to seven feet tall. Yes,
1: females will stand six to seven feet tall. Uh, about uh, males are a little bit shorter, mm-hmm. um, and so that's generally how you can well you can tell them apart. But you can also tell them apart because uh, males have ossicones and females do not. Oh. Um, but females are typically a little bit bigger and stockier, and they're much taller than males.
0: Really? Taller. Mm-hmm. Okay. And can you explain yep. what ossicones are for people listening who don't know what that yeah. is?
1: So um, ossicones are... Um, so uh, in, I guess in the animal world, you have antlers, mm-hmm. horns, and ossicones. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like different head structures on different mammals. Sure. So ossicones are bones that are covered in either skin or fur. So they're part of the skull. They're actually part of the skull. Mm-hmm. And uh, giraffe and okapi both have ossicones. And so in giraffe, males and females both have ossicones. But in okapi, their closest relative, Only the males have ossicones.
0: Only males. Man, I am learning so much. Okay, so their closest relative is the giraffe. Mm -hmm. And so let's talk about, because there's a lot of, I mean why – I mean there's a lot of – I mean a lot of scientists, like why did they evolve certain traits, right? Like Mm -hmm. the long tongue, the long neck. Like can we go into that and like in some of the theories because some people are – because they live in this dense jungle. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like stripes. um, Yeah, let's just go into that because there's so much we don't know about this animal. There is so
1: I mean because you you really never see them. There's so much about Okapi that we don't know. Sure. I mean there's theories about some – reasons why that they evolved certain traits
0: mm-hmm.
1: um i do want to point out and we always so um we're very good friends with those at the 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 people at giraffe conservation foundation i love them we always, we, oh yeah julian and julian,
0: julian and he's great um,
1: <laughs> i love julian yeah he is. Uh, i hope he listens to this so we he loves me even more um so we always joke back and forth that um giraffe actually evolved from okapi evolutionarily speaking okapi are older than giraffe really so Commonly, people know the Okapi as the forest giraffe. Sure. But because Okapi are technically older than giraffe, Okapi are older than giraffe, we should really be calling the giraffe the savannah Okapi. That's kind of an inside joke that we have between each other. Oh, but, uh,
0: I didn't yeah. know that. That would make sense. So you think that they evolved, they left the forest, evolved longer next to graze yep. on the acacia trees, and mm-hmm. then maybe evolved... To live in herds, maybe to reduce predation. I'm just like my yep. mind is just going. Okay, yep. there's wow.
1: a, a bunch of those theories are uh-huh. all swirling around. I don't know if there's any one that is more valid than the other. We do um, have a few theories on okapi stripes. Yeah, um, why they have the stripes. Okay. One, um, there are some theories that it um, it allows the, the stripes are individual, just like oh, your okay. fingerprint, like um, a zebra. Yeah just like the stripes on a zebra, Mm. um, stripes on a tiger, the giraffe print, all those, the stripe pattern is individual or unique to each individual. And um, there's some theories that it helps the uh, Okapi calf follow the mother around. Mm. Um, I could go either way on that. Um, I think the most valid, in my opinion, theory on why they uh, evolved the stripes is more for camouflage. Um, And we have a fantastic uh, video on our YouTube page where you see this okapi, it is walking away from the camera, and just maybe eight, ten feet in front of the camera, it disappears before your eyes in the foliage. Um, you can only see that it's there because it's feeding a little tiny bit. And so the stripes are thought to break up the pattern from the dappled sunlight coming, mm. shining through the leaves. Mm-hmm. It kind of helps break up their, their solid dark coat. So it makes them much harder to see.
0: So like light shining through. and it Exactly. Yeah. yeah, Okay. So then why are their tongues black? Because if they because giraffes have it because obviously so they don't get sunburnt, right? But then there's new theories that's coming out. Yeah, I know. That's the thing. Then that's again, but then there's some, someone saying that's a theory, too. And you just rolled your eyes. So apparently you yeah. don't believe that. I hope. <laughs> I, you, I, I, hope. I mean,
1: there, there, there's lots of things. And I, I think I think it's fun to speculate these things just to kind of see why animals evolve these certain traits. Um, I honestly don't know why the Okapi tongue is dark. Um, I do know that it's uh, uh, very scratchy, kind of like a cat tongue. Oh. Um, and so if, if you've ever had the fortunate opportunity to meet an Okapi at a zoo, if you ever did a behind-the-scenes experience somewhere, uh, and uh, you're feeding an Okapi and it, it licked you, it's very scratchy. I would say it's almost scratchier than a cat tongue. Um, but it, it has a prehensile tongue, just like a giraffe, to be able to um, pluck um, delicate leaves sure. off of the branches and go around... Thorns or spines on plants, um, so that they can get to the leaves much easier.
0: Okay, so thank you for rubbing that in my face. I've never <laughs> gone behind the scenes with an okapi, but I hear from my sources. I've had several people on the show who have worked with uh, okapi. Zookeeper Johnny is a great example. She's yeah. amazing from the Nashville Zoo. Anyway, um, but she was saying that they f- they they're oily and 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 oh, they f- yeah. and they feel like velvet. Can we go into oh, that?
1: Yeah. yeah. So they, they if you again, are ever fortunate enough to meet an okapi. Oh, yeah. uh, and you are even more fortunate enough to pet them. Um, some of them are very tactile and they are habituated to humans. So they. some zoos do offer those opportunities. Um, so if you pet them, they feel exactly like velvet. Um, oh. And then if you keep petting them um, for a long period, you get a brown oil on your skin. But it's like a a, a dry oil. It's not like if you were to stick your hand in olive oil and it's oily yeah. it's it's almost like caked on to your fingers oh. when you pet a no copy and it's really difficult to wash off you have to scrape it off and that's thought to be um a few theories back to the whole theories um on uh being an insect repellent although i don't know how oh. much that actually uses how that much at it how that how much that actually works sure i think it's more effective as a waterproofing agent uh, in the rainforest, so when it rains, it helps repel water.
0: Wow, my God! So, what do we not know about them? I feel like there's so much that we don't. But know like, about but but, but what, what is don't... something though that we don't know? I mean, have we? Is I mean, what do we not know? I'm just curious because I'm learning, dude. I am uh, look at all these notes I'm taking. I am so into this animal. <laughs> I mean, and I've, we've had over 150 episodes in this, and I'm just learning a lot about this animal. I think it's great. I'm learning so much. But like, what would you like to know? Like the number one thing you'd like to know that we have not discovered about Okapi? I
1: I would like to know their actual population. I want to know what is going on out there. Right now, throughout their entire um, uh, range, It's, it's pretty much an estimate on what their population is. Um, I want to know how many are actually out there, but it's much too dangerous throughout their range. Again, talking about the security issue. Um, uh, I, I just want to see how much, how how big their population is, but also kind of, I want to learn more weird stuff about them. I mean, they have scent glands on their feet and as they walk, they leave scent behind to help mark their territory. Um, just, it, I feel like I don't, I feel like there's so much we don't know, and I can't pinpoint one thing that I want to know about them.
0: Wow, we don't. It's hard to.
1: They are they are again the coolest animal you've never heard of, which is I say that to the primary audience that I'm I'm assuming is listening to this, which is either Americans or people outside of Congo. I don't know if many people in Congo will. Listen to hey, your
0: hey, you don't know. We might have a big listenership. <laughs> we have a listenership that. in Cambodia, but I don't think the Congo. Oh, no. okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: um, well, so everyone in Congo knows what an Okapi is. Everyone to and older knows what it, an Okapi is. It is their symbol of conservation. And it's everything is named after Okapi. There's Okapi Logistics, Okapi Gum, Okapi Water, uh, Okapi Cigarettes. Oh. Uh, just everything is named after Okapi. The main news source in Congo is Radio Okapi. Um, we have a school in Apulu named uh, Okapi Ecole, Okapi School. Um, just Okapi Dispensary is a healthcare center in Apulu. Everything is named after Okapi in Congo.
0: Do they have Okapi beer?
1: They don't actually. Okay. Their main a... beer is Primas. There's <laughs> That's our favorite beer to have over there is uh, Primus
0: uh, So. <laughs> Wow. Okay, and you said at the beginning that they are they're like spiritual to the people, so they're not mm-hmm. actively hunted. Although they do fall victim to, I mean, the the bushmead, right? Being caught in snares, I'm assuming. Yeah,
1: yeah, they do get caught in snares. Luckily, in the um, luckily in the Okapi Wildlife Reserve, um, primarily the the snare the types of snares that the uh, Eco Guards, the ICC and Eco Guards remove, are nylon, and Okapi are able to break through those. Um, whereas typically if you get into other areas of Africa where Okapi are not found, you get into a lot of the metal snares, which do huge damage to, um, uh, to painted dogs, to mm. lions, to a bunch of other animals. But luckily in our area, they're primarily nylon. Um, I think Okapi, I don't think they're necessarily targeted. Um, I think they're mostly caught as bycatch. And if, 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 a if a hunter or a poacher catches it in a, uh, a snare,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: they're going to take advantage of that, that access to protein.
0: Yeah. Lucas, I'm a little shocked that they aren't more actively hunted. Cause I would think it's a big animal standing six, seven feet, you know, several hundred pounds. I would think it would provide a lot yeah. of meat for the community. I'm, you know,
1: I mean, it's also very hard to see them. I mean, I, I feel like monkeys and chimpanzees are much easier to see. They're much more prolific. Um, oh. and I think they, they are the ones that are mostly targeted. Um, okapi are more as bycatch. Um, if a, if a human's in the forest walking around an okapi is going to be gone before you even know it's there. And so I think it, it, it's not necessarily, um, they might be targeted. Um, they're oh. just so good and inclusive that you won't, the S- poacher won't see them.
0: Secretive. I guess that makes it's, sense. I mean, Western science said, no, you know, know they existed until 1901. Have you ever seen a wild okapi or just on the camera tracks?
1: Not just on the camera trap. I mean, I've only been with the project for four and a half years. Um, John Lucas, who's one of the founders of the project, John, um, I think he has only ever seen one Okapi in the wild and it was an Okapi that they actually released. Um, uh, he started the project in 1987 and he's only seen one Okapi and it was one that they released. But, um, recently there has been an Okapi that is leaving the forest to feed on a farmer's bean plants. I think I mentioned that earlier. Um, And so our staff have been able to see him. I haven't seen him yet because it's been a relatively recent uh, occurrence the past two or three months. And because of COVID, I haven't been able to go over there. Um, But our staff have seen them on a regular basis. They just saw him yesterday. He comes out on a regular um, predictable schedule every morning and every evening. Um, And so we set up camera traps. And so we're getting some of this fantastic footage and. It's it's really exciting to Dude, see.
0: I don't think I could hold my excitement in if I saw him. I'd be like, oh my God! Like, I'd be like, well, everyone! So,
1: <laughs> we were really nervous to um, talk about that. Sure. Because of, people would get so excited. I mean, you got excited, I got excited, yeah, our staff yeah. got excited. Oh, yeah. And we had major concerns of people swarming there, mm. uh, the, the local communities going there to see this Okapi uh, and scaring it away. We didn't want to risk that. So we've slowly been working on um, uh, kind of habituating and just kind of standing there watching it um, with one, two, three of our staff members. And then hopefully it could provide some opportunities for communities to see him in the future. Um, It also comes with risks, because if there's an Okapi that is frequenting an area predictably, um, that also brings an opportunity for poachers to come in. So we're Mm -hmm. also dancing delicately with that. Um, but overall we, we take this as a very good sign and hope for the future. Um, and we, we're, we're, really looking forward to see where this, this leads us.
0: Okay. So when you finally see him, by the way, does this particular Okapi have a name or is he numbered like in science? No, he is
1: not named or numbered. It's, it's that new that it, I think we're just still in awe. Um, I think we want to have a naming contest. Oh, we haven't oh, talked about this publicly, but I'm should. about to. We want to have a naming contest uh, with a lot of the school children in the region to name the Okapi.
0: OK, can you send me an exclusive photo? No, I'm serious. Can <laughs> okay. you will you or, sure, or, or 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 two to three that I could post and share and, yeah. of course, give you credit. But I'm, I mean, that is incredible. So this guy, you said John Lucas started this yeah. program in 1987, has only seen one wild Okapi and now in 2020, we have one that is finally venturing out. Dude, yep. so are you so excited? Are you just like we're, we're super
1: pumped? Are you we're like, super pumped.
0: Are you biting at the bit to get back to the Congo to see this uh, so absolutely?
1: Coffee? I'm I'm biting at the bit to just get on a plane out of my house, <laughs> if I'm honest. But yes, absolutely to Congo. Oh. I, I, I I cannot wait. One just to see our staff again. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I, I miss them so much. We have weekly Zoom calls. Uh, And I think we've been very productive with these Zoom calls, but nothing beats the in-person experience and camaraderie and brainstorming, but also just to get there and be in the forest, um, be with the communities and the people and just kind of be there to experience it all and See family again.
0: Yeah. Okay. So when you see this okapi, are you going to totally play it calm, cool, and collected? Like, okay, there's, okay. On nice. the
1: outside, yes. On the inside, I'll be dying.
0: Oh, my Absolute God.
1: Dying, crying, screaming on the inside. Oh,
0: that is amazing. That is just amazing. And so you mentioned that there are how many zoos that have okapis? There's roughly uh, just under
1: 30 zoos um, in the Association of Zoos and Aquariums that have Okapi. So those are primarily AZA ranges around the world, but primarily they're in the United States. Um, Okapi are in AZA institutions. They're all in the United States. There's some in Japan. Um, And then there's almost 30 zoos in Europe that have Okapi. Okay. And then um, there is one, uh, several Okapi actually in um, United Arab Emirates, uh, and then I, there are a few zoos around the world that are looking to receive okapi. Um, so, if I will, if you're interested in seeing or meeting an okapi, definitely check out your zoo's website to see if they have okapi um, or where the closest zoo is to see okapi, uh, and that could be your experience to see one and and meet one.
0: I love seeing okapi in zoos. I can, I yeah, I, I love it. And so it sounds like they must. I mean, well, I mean, I yeah, I mean, I love that they. I mean, because they, they breed fairly well in zoos, right? They, yes, they do fairly well,
1: pretty well, yes. Okay. And so, um, one of the one of the part of the mission of the project when it was Okapi Conservation Project mm-hmm. when it was started in 1987 was um, to actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take okapi from Congo and send them to zoos around the world. That happened three times. Okay. Um, because a lot of these okapi that were in zoos were being inbred, and so that was oh. bringing out a lot of mutations. And it wasn't very. Uh, it was not. They were not genetically stable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so we needed fresh genetics, new genetic lines to sure. introduce to the captive population. So I think there were three okapi. Um, I think in '89. Mm. 91 and 92 were something like that. It was the late 80s and early 90s that 3O copy were sent um, to zoos around the world to help, um, facilitate, uh, uh, genetic variability.
0: Yes. And I do want to clarify when I said, I love seeing Ocopies copies in zoos. I love seeing them in zoos, obviously in a oh, perfect yeah. world, I'd <laughs> love to see them all out in the wild. But right now, I mean, I, this is a really sad statistic, yeah. but I looked on the website. Oh, copy numbers have dropped 50% in just 15 years. Mm-hmm. So zoos right now are critical in saving the species, yeah. honestly, from extinction. And they're, ha- it's like a genetic, um, it's, it's, it's like this bank that we're able to save them. Cause I don't know, man. It's it's not looking good, unfortunately, out in the wild right now. And Well, and zoos have been
1: a critical, critical component of our work, um, Okapi Conservation Project's work. They um, provide about a third of our revenue budget mm. annually to support all of our work with communities and conservation efforts mm. in the Congo. Um, and they're our main um, access to the global community. Um, like I said, no one outside of Congo knows what an okapi is, but we need people around the world to know what an okapi is to understand what um, they're facing, so they could uh, have they could support us um, to to do their part to actually sure. protect okapi in Congo. Um, and we we promote we encourage people to visit the zoos that have okapi because several of the uh, I think it's 85% of the okapi. A holding institutions, so zoos that have okapi uh-huh. um, support the okapi conservation project in some way, shape, or form. And so we encourage people to visit zoos with okapi because that it indirectly benefits us, and it also, I think, helps create awareness um, for you as an individual on what the issues are with okapi, what's happening to okapi in the wild. And so we always encourage people to visit zoos because they're they're one of they're a critical component to all of our conservation work.
0: Yeah. Can I tell you my favorite Okapi exhibit that I've ever been Uh, to?
1: Absolutely. I love hearing these.
0: And then I would like to hear yours. But I I think my favorite, and I know we have a lot of zoo people listening, so I apologize Uh if I offend you. But (laughs) some people are going to be shocked, but it it takes place in the Bronx. The Bronx Bronx Zoo has a phenomenal Congo exhibit. Congo exhibit where you go and you go through this forest and you feel like you are in the Congo and you see okapi oh, yeah. and then you see the lowland gorillas and they do a fantastic job.
1: Well, and this is kind of going on a, a little bit of a tangent, but sure. when that that exhibit is actually really old, so the fact that they built it to that amount of detail when they built it I think it was like in the late 70s or 80s or something no. like that's an old exhibit really um but the, they, they were able to do that and it still looks that in, incredibly fantastic I love that exhibit it's not my favorite though my favorite um back on track to answer your question my favorite is actually at White Oak Conservation Center. Um, So that's it's uh, in Yulee, Florida. It's just north of us uh, in Jacksonville. And that's actually where the project was started. John used to be the executive director of White Oak, and then he started the Okapi Conservation Project there. Mm. They have the most Okapi outside of Congo, um, somewhere around like 16 or 17. Wow. Um, But it, it... I mean, the it, you can really only go there on private tours. It's not like a zoo where you can go any day that you want. You do have to book it in advance. This is a little promo for White Oak now. They, yeah. better, <laughs> they better pay me. Um, but I think it's a fantastic facility. Everything there is very quiet, Um, very relaxed and they just have so many okapi and they they're doing some incredible things for the the captive population there and for the wild population too they support us significantly Um, but they're doing stuff significant work for the captive population with um, uh, genetic variability um, running the species survival plan which a lot of the keepers know all about ssps Mm -hmm. and stuff like that um, but they're doing some incredible work. I will say, and it's not the exhibit, um, but at Jacksonville Zoo and Gardens, um, that fr- was the first Okapi that I ever met. And his name is Camacho. Um, and he, I just have like a, a connection with him. He's my favorite because he was the first one that I ever got to meet. Um, and during COVID, I actually became a keeper. Um, temper- well, I'm still a keeper technically. Um, so I'm doing a lot of keeper work, but he was one of the animals that I helped care for, um, for a few months in the beginning of all the COVID-19 restrictions. So I developed an even stronger bond with him Wow. exhibit, man. But the okapi is is incredible.
0: But so, what is that so like taking care of an okapi? Is it similar to a giraffe? Are they stupid? I don't know, never taking
1: care of a giraffe. Okay,
0: well, God, I hate well, so, to say uh, giraffes are stupid. They're not. Uh, oh my God, knife. Julian's really gonna hate this. No, <laughs> it, it, I, I, I just want to say they're not the brightest. I have the sharpest crayon in the box, from what it, I hear.
1: I, yes, I will agree with that on giraffe and okapi. So oh. with Camacho, particularly. Um, you'll have food in your hand or you'll be calling him and he's just looking at you and that he just keeps looking at you and then you're trying it. it, it he just stands and looks a lot of the time uh-huh. and then he'll just wander off almost a little bit like a cat.
0: Oh, okay. Think.
1: Um, but then there are times that he's very lovable and he loves scratches around his ossicones and, Neck scratches and chin scratches, and well, that's when you get really oily. But
0: wow, I didn't realize you were working with them on a daily. How cool! Does it bother you if visitors like just fly by the exhibit and don't even like give two, you know, two craps about? They do fly
1: past. It does bother me if they fly by the exhibit. What I love, and this happens every single day, um, someone always thinks it's related to the zebra. It also doesn't help that at the zoo and I roll my eyes, has the okapi right next to the zebra.
0: Oh, <laughs> no! So it oh. creates a little bit of
1: confusion, but I'm always uh, correcting people that no, they're not really related to zebras. I mean, distantly, yes, you could argue that, but... Um, just because they have stripes does not mean that they're related to zebras. They're mo- more closely related to giraffe.
0: I have to be careful. I yell sometimes at visitors. Or I'm very, very <laughs> strict. I mean, I don't work at a zoo, but I'm very yeah. like, you know what I mean? If I hear like, what, what happened? Oh, I think I saw some guys passing some some African wild dogs. And the guy was like, okay. oh, we don't need to look at them. They're just other hyenas. And I'm like, no, they're not. They're the most I endangered just- carnivore in the I world. <laughs> and this is so cool. Our zoo has okay. them. And you are an idiot. I didn't say he was an idiot, but I totally, it's just sometimes Went zoo off. visitors. Sometimes
1: will. it's hard to control. I'm usually pretty good. Pretty good you at are. Um, casually correcting people, politely correcting people. Um, and then I share a bunch of cool facts and stuff. So hopefully that will, if they remember some of the cool facts, they'll remember that
0: Absolutely. it's
1: okay or that it's whatever animal it is but
0: yes and does your zoo currently offer behind the scenes tours like if i'm a listener can i go to the jacksonville zoo and can i get a behind the scenes tour
1: yes absolutely not during covid though oh, shoot. um but once covid is um done yeah i'm using you hear my air quotes, dude. Um, once it's done or once we figure out some semblance of back to normalcy, we'll be offering behind the scenes tours again. Um, but right now we're we're really not.
0: Okay, Lucas, I would I really want to come and visit. <laughs> I would love do a it. behind the scenes tour. And I'm I'm telling you what, your work in the Congo and the Okapi Conservation Project, man, that is incredible. And man, I would I feel love... like we didn't
1: even get to talk about all the let's work. Let's do we it. Yeah, go ahead,
0: stuff. man. No one's telling me to stop. Go ahead. Yeah, let's talk about what you guys are doing. Awesome. Yeah, go ahead. So um
1: we Our mission is to protect the endangered Okapi and its habitat in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Word for word, that's our mission. Mm -hmm. Um, But we do that through a very holistic approach of uh, working with communities. A lot of people that don't work in conservation or aren't familiar with the field um, really think that we're working with animals. We're really mostly working with people because nature... Can survive without people, but people cannot survive without nature. And so we're here protecting an Okapi, but we're primarily working with people. Uh, and so a lot of our work, all of our programs, revolve around um, ensuring that these communities that share or live within the range of Okapi, um, that their lives are, their, their difficulties in life are eased, their livelihoods are improved. Um, they have access to clean water, they have access to, they have food security, um, they, they are empowered through developing their um, own micro enterprises so that they can bring money to the table to support their families. Um, all of that is all um, intertwined with protecting Okapi habitat. And so it, Okapi can survive easily with um, uh, undisturbed habitat. So that's all they need. As long as we're protecting the forest, we're protecting Okapi. Um, So deforestation is a big thing. So dealing with um, addressing the the deforestation uh, is what a lot of our programs are. So um, working with ICCN eco guards to um, uh, remove miners from the illegal miners because gold mining is a big thing in the reserve, Um, uh, reducing slash and burn farming, slash and burn agriculture, which is when Uh, A farmer will cut down um, a plot of land or cut down some trees on a plot of land, plant plants, they'll harvest those plants, and the next year they'll do the same thing, they'll cut down another plot of land. Um, But we have agroforestry techniques which are pretty common here in the U.S., they're becoming a lot more accepted worldwide where we're um, interspersing um, the planting of nitrogen-fixing plants to help um, uh, put nutrients back into the soil so they can increase their crop yields and use the same plot of land for up to 10 years um, instead of doing a new plot of land each year. It's much less work for them. And so providing these opportunities for them to reduce the stressors on their life, improve their livelihoods, uh, make sure that they're happy so that they can start thinking about ways to to uh, conserve the rainforest and reduce their impact on the rainforest. So that's what a lot of our programs are revolve around, and it's all community focused.
0: That is so smart because the first thought of a Westerner, like when I first went to Africa, I was just like so angry. Well, not that sounds so bad. Um no, I wasn't angry towards the locals, but I mean, because you know, the bush meet this and that, and you just want to tell them don't do this. But I learned like you can't go into this community you're not a part of or this third world and be like, you can't do this. Like you have to look exactly. at how can you sustain them and like how can you involve them? And it's all about exactly. community. And you're right, you can't go in and say, you guys stop chopping down the forest and you don't give them any other alternatives or oh, you don't involve exactly. them. There's nothing that, that wouldn't work. I mean it would just no, it would fall flat.
1: I mean it's it's the same thing as kind of like uh, the the whole idea, ideology in the professional field in the US of staying in your lane. Um, you don't want to tell someone in another department how to do their job if you're at a mm-hmm. zoo. Uh, as a as a conservationist, I don't tell marketing what to do. I'm not going to tell these communities what to do. But what I'm going to do is um, provide them with support and assistance to make their lives much easier. And then that opens up a conversation where we can say talk, talk about alternatives um, that mm-hmm. could benefit both them and the animals. And so that's kind of the the angle that we're coming from.
0: Do you think they could ever make money from tourism from like other animals? Like, do you have you you have chimpanzees in the reserve, right?
1: Yes. So um, from other animals, maybe I think um, because it's the Okapi Wildlife Reserve, Mm. we could absolutely make tourist dollars from Okapi. The issue is security in the area. So we need support to, we're not the only ones in the reserve. We work in a partnership with uh, Wildlife Conservation Society, Mm, ICCN, Um, there's a German organization called um, GFA that Mm. helps working in the reserve. So I don't want it to come across like we're the only ones working in the reserve. There's several several partners working together in the Okapi Wildlife Reserve. Um, And so we want to bring tourism to the reserve, but we need support from the government, the army, we really need to make sure that this is a very safe place for tourists to visit. John and I always joke when we have someone that wants to come to Congo, if if we're close with them, we always say, oh, we can get you into Congo. We can't always guarantee we'll get you out of Congo. Um, <laughs> and so we, it, we we try and make it a little bit more lighthearted. But um, it is it is a serious concern the safety and security in the region. Um, so once that returns to a safe level, I don't know what that level is. Mm-hmm. But once it's deemed safe and secure for tourists to come, we will open our doors with open arms. We just don't want to risk risk people's lives.
0: Yeah, and it's also hard if I mean I mean if you, if you don't see an no okapi, like I mean I guess they're starting yeah. to see one, but I mean that's. Yeah. I mean, they're so reclusive.
1: Yeah. And so we... Well, we used to have a lot of tourism in the area um, because we actually had several Okapi at our station. Uh, It was an Okapi breeding station. We had Okapi in pens, and people would come and see Okapi. Mm. School kids would come on field trips. Mm. Uh, But then in 2012, um, there was a huge attack by a militia group, uh, and they killed all the Okapi at the station, (gasps) several community members. um, And we... Have just now built the last building that was destroyed, burned, and looted um, this past year, and so we've finally recovered from that. But the security hasn't really returned yet, um, and so we we haven't brought Okapi back to the station. We don't want to do that until we it's it's guaranteed that security's back uh, in the region, uh, because we don't want to risk the lives of people nor the lives of Okapi. We don't want to bring Okapi to this place and then the, that incident happen again. And so it's, it's.
0: That's heartbreaking, you know, just, Oh my God, do you, I mean, so you're literally risking your life every time you go to the Congo to set these traps and camera traps.
1: Uh, I mean, I risk my life the two or three times a year that I actually go. Uh
0: um,
1: But it's the staff on the ground that are risking their lives every day um, because they're going out there speaking to um, communities, school children, Um, The chiefs of different villages, they're the ones that are actually in the uh, taxis and motorbikes um, on the roads, the dangerous roads, every day, um, making sure that um, the forest remains protected and the communities stay supported. Um, I think that's one thing, one huge strength that we have as Okapi Conservation Project with the community is our trust with the community. I mean, I've only been there for four and a half, been with the project for four and a half years, but John, the rest of our staff over in Congo, um, they've been there for 30 plus years. Um, They've been there through all of the um, breaches in security, the rebel attacks, and they've stayed. And so that has developed a very high level of trust and respect mm-hmm. within the community. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very important for any any conservation organization. If you're trying to get community input, you need to be there and gain their trust. Um, you need to be there for them uh, in times of stress. You cannot run away. Um, and I think being there in times of stress, frustration, difficulty, danger, uh, insecurity, all of that stuff, that's probably the most important Um, part of doing any sort of conservation, is being there for the communities, because they they are people. I mean, in our Mm -hmm. times of stress in the U.S., um, we get really frustrated and we seek out um, support. Um, And I mean, they need support, too. And so we've always been there. And I think that high level of trust has um, has really um, made us successful in the area uh, and we're 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 a recognized name. Um, people know us. Maybe not my name per se, my yeah. personal name, but Okapi Conservation Project, uh, they recognize. And so I think that's really helped us tremendously, and um, just fulfilling our fulfilling our promises.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. How can listeners right now uh, tuning into the show help?
1: Mm-hmm. First, absolutely tell your friends and family about Okapi. That is the first, the biggest hurdle that we're trying to get over is just. Educating people about okapi. Mm-hmm. Um, that is free. <laughs> it, <does cost laughs> it is free. Money, it is free. Um, which I know a lot of people are looking for. I mean, we need money. Yes, absolutely. But if you if you're not in a position to <gasps> contribute, absolutely tell your friends and family.
0: I think I have a great idea. So Thanksgiving yeah. is coming up. Around it's around the corner. If you're yep. listening, you should around the Thanksgiving table. You should be. You should say I'm thankful for okapi and tell your friends and Abs- family what they are. I'm gonna totally do that. My <laughs> (laughs) wife's gonna be like what are you poop at the dinner table i'm going to (laughs) they don't yeah they don't poop for two months (laughs) unlike you guys no i'm kidding okay um
1: after this dinner um, uh, yeah so uh, tell your friends and family about okapi that's the number one thing we always tell people because once once you get people interested in okapi people love them and become so fascinated and that's Mm -hmm. what draws them in to support the project so it's trying to build our network of okapi supporters um you can donate to the to Okapi Conservation Project. All of our work is uh, up, goes straight to the ground, mm-hmm. um, whether it's supporting our, our women empowerment programs, um, education of uh, local school children, whether it's for the rangers um, or eco guards that are doing all the patrols. We have so many different programs that you can um, contribute to. Um, we also encourage people to recycle their cell phones. And this one is Typically tied to war with gorillas Mm. Um, and so coltan, which is a mineral that's mined in uh, Congo uh, is used in all of our tablets cell phones that sort of thing. So in theory here, there's that word theory again um, If you recycle your cell phone They can use the coltan from that cell phone and use it in another cell phone and in theory it reduces demand for mining in the Congo. I don't know if that's been proven yet, but it's still a good thing to recycle your cell phone. So we always encourage people to do that because that can help okapi, gorillas, chimpanzees, um, bongo, Mm. um, Congo peafowl, which is another uh, very endangered bird. Um, So it, it reduces the impact on the rainforest and so you're protecting all of those rainforest species by reducing your impact on the rainforest. So telling people about Okapi is number one. Absolutely, um, you can support our project financially, uh, and then you can also recycle your cell phones. That those is- are what I typically tell three. Tell people.
0: That's amazing. I will put the links in the show notes to donate to the Akapi Conservation Project. Lucas, this has been such a fascinating interview and I've learned so much. And I just want it's to, been a pleasure. Yeah, I wanna thank you. And I would love to join you in the Congo one day let's do it. No, seriously. And I'm I not can get a, you in there. I don't know if I can get you out. See, though. that's what you're going to say. Well, you know what? Customs is a fun experience. Oh, that wouldn't be fun. Okay. Well, you know what, man? Customs is scary. When I was flying Anywhere out there you go. Yeah. When I was flying back from Nairobi, they put me in a room and they were, yelling at me and all kinds of weird stuff. Oh yeah, It, it was crazy. I, they were like, the what con- did you take? I was like, I didn't take anything. I'm a broke <laughs> college kid. What do you want? Like I, you know, anyway, okay. It's total side note there, but yes, yeah. I, I, maybe I'll probably see you in Jacksonville though. It sounds like sooner than the, yeah, let me know. Okay. Yep. That sounds great. Well, thank you so much. No problem. Thanks for having me.